John chapter 8, and we're going to be looking in verse 12 this morning as we are continuing our study in the Gospel of John. If you'll remember last week, we looked at this story where the Pharisees brought this woman that was called an adultery before Christ. And remember what we looked at was the example of the ministry that Christ had. There's been a lot of messages preached about that passage, verses 1 through 11. There's some controversy amongst uh, uh, Bible students of whether those verses even belong there. And uh, I would just have to say, God put them there, they belong there. Amen? It's important. Uh, None of this Bible needs to be messed with. That's my two cents worth on that. And we can take it or leave it or whatever you want to do with it. But it was interesting to study the ministry of Christ from this passage and to see how he forgave this adulterous woman that was brought before him and that was taken in adultery. And then what was he doing before the Pharisees came? Look at verse 1. Jesus went up, uh, went unto the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and what? He taught them. The ministry of Christ, His earthly ministry here, was seasoned with teaching. And I believe that's the way our churches need to be. There's preaching and there's teaching and they they should work together. And when we study the Word of God, there should be some preaching and teaching mingled in. But Jesus' ministry was about teaching. And if you'll remember, we talked about the reason why He needed to teach. It's because the law of God had been marred by the philosophy of man for hundreds of years. By this point, by the time Christ was born, there had been 400 years of silence from God. No man had heard from God. All they had was the Old Testament up to that point. And then 400 years of silence and man changing the law of God to what he wanted it to be. Jesus came to teach them the law so that they could see that he came not to do away with the law but to fulfill the law, not man's version of God's law, but God's perfect law. That's what Christ came. So that's why we see Him teaching all throughout His earthly ministry. We're in John chapter 8. We're now at verse 12. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning. We'll read the verse, we'll pray, and we'll jump right in. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're so grateful once again for the opportunity to gather together in your meeting house as uh, as saved people, knowing that we have peace and joy and safety in you, knowing that our eternal destination is secure. Lord, we're so thankful for that. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the truth of Scripture and we're grateful that you did not just save us and leave us here to try to figure out how we should live our life for you, but you gave us your word that we can follow as a guide. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'll be with us as we preach, as we teach this morning. Uh, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Help me not to preach my own opinion, Lord. Help me to be faithful to preach your word. And I pray that you would help us. If there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And those Christians that are here, I pray that they would be encouraged from the study today to know that we have the light of life within us. Lord, be with us now. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. 
Jesus is now back to teaching. The Pharisees had interrupted his teaching by bringing this adulterous woman to him that was taken in the very act of adultery. And in reading the passage, it makes you kind of wonder how the Pharisees knew exactly where she was going to be to go and get her. Amen? It makes you wonder, and it was some speculation of whether or not some of these religious leaders knew very well in advance that this was going to happen because it was something that happened consistently with her. But that's for another discussion. They had interrupted his teaching by trying to tempt him and they were trying to tempt him that he would accuse himself or that he would contradict himself and his and the teachings of the law. But now he is back to teaching. He was tempted by the Pharisees, uh, but he did not let the situation stop him from what he was there to do. He came to teach men of the darkness of their life and their need of the light. We're now presented with Christ's description of himself here in this passage. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Remember we said that there were 400 plus years uh, 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 that man was quite literally living in darkness, not hearing the, from God. And they had the writings, but they had changed the writings of the law of Moses. And this is due to the fact that the Jews were supposed to be the ones that brought the light into the world. They were his chosen people. We've studied this before. But they, instead of bringing the light, they backslid and followed after their idolatry and they were living in darkness. Man had not changed the law of God though to make it of no effect. Therefore God, or man did change the law of God and made it of no effect. So God had to do something. And what did he do? He sent his only begotten son into the world to die for the world and to teach the world where the light would come from. Look at John chapter 3 with me if you will. John chapter 3 this morning. And look at verse 17. John chapter 3 and verse 17 reads, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus was brought this adulterous woman in these first 11 verses, and they wanted Him to condemn her. They were condemning her. Then Jesus writes on the ground. We have no idea what he wrote. There's speculation, and that's all it is. I shared with you last week what your pastor believes he wrote. I believe he just started writing the law of God in order of the sin from the oldest to the youngest because that's the order that the Pharisees were convicted in, and they left, and they knew what he was writing. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. All we know about what Jesus wrote was that it was true, and it was what God wanted because everything that Jesus did was true, and everything that he said was from God. It's very important that we understand that. But Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because you're in John chapter 3, and look at verse 18. John chapter 3 and verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is what? He's condemned already. Jesus doesn't have to condemn anyone. Your sin condemns you. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world, but to bring salvation. Why? Because the world's already condemned. 
This is why we have said before, when people ask the question, how could a loving God send good people to hell? Well, we know the general answer. There are no good people. Amen. There's none good. There's none that seeketh after righteousness. All of us, the best we have to offer on our best day is nothing but filthy rags. We've condemned ourselves. God is a holy and righteous judge. And all He does when someone goes to hell is He judges righteously. He judges rightly. He follows through with the condemnation that we already have placed on our own life by living in sin. And here's the thing. You can do all the good you want from the day you're born to the day you die. You're born into it. Sin is man's inheritance from his father Adam. You see, you can't get away from it. We're condemned already. That's why Jesus said He didn't come to condemn. Now, I know the liberal mentality of today is, see, Jesus said He didn't come to condemn, and neither should we. But you see, that's misconstruing the context of Jesus' words. You have to read the whole passage to know what He's talking about. Amen? You can't just pick out verses that you like, such as, judge not lest you be judged. If you go on to read the rest of the verses, it talks about how we are supposed to judge, not based on our own own judgment, but based on the judgment of God. So judging is okay as long as we do it rightly based on God's judgment. Why? Because He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. So when we go into the highways and hedges, when Brother Don leads a team on Saturdays to knock on doors and invite people to church, when we go out into the community, into our workplace, into our schools, and we tell people about Jesus Christ, how do we show them the light of the world? By letting them know, listen, your sin has already condemned you, but Jesus is the answer. He didn't come to condemn you further. He came to provide life eternal for you. That was the ministry of Jesus Christ. Back to John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Here Jesus is teaching of the, the glorious truth that we no longer have to live in darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but as a young child, I did not like darkness. Amen? Now, let's be honest this morning, because we're in church, and you don't lie in church. Amen? Amen. Well, all right, some of you do then. I get Brother Don's with me. Amen. We don't lie in church. Now, let's be honest. How many of you, when you were growing up, you needed a little bit of light to comfort you at night? Amen. Don't, don't, uh, some of you's lying right now. Lord, forgive them for their lying. Amen. Help them. Don't let them grieve the Spirit this morning. Amen. My kids are that way. We've got to get a nightlight because they don't like the darkness. Why? Because it's natural to fear what you cannot see. It's natural to fear the unknown. Jesus said, you don't have to walk in darkness because I am the light of the world. There's no longer the need to fear the unknown. Do you know where the world's walking this morning? Those that don't know Christ as their Savior, they're walking in darkness. They have no idea of their eternity. They have no idea that their sin has already condemned them. They have no idea that their baptism didn't save them. They have no idea that all the good that they want to do and all the good they've tried to do cannot save them. They're walking in darkness. And if you ask them this morning, do you know if you'd go to heaven, the answer that you will get is, boy, I hope so. What a shame. What a shame to have the wonderful truth, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ before us today and the whole world with a I hope so 
Jesus did not come to condemn. He came to save. He is the light that the world needs. This world that's living in darkness. And all they have to do is receive it. Now, there's some things that are interesting in Scripture that I want us to point out very quickly. This is, this is the part where, I, 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 as you study it, you kind of have a little fun with it because you get to see some things. And, and uh, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. I want us to see this morning the physical importance of light. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world is significant, much more deeply significant because of the, of the spiritual aspect, but there's a physical aspect to light as well. Look at Genesis chapter 1 with me this morning. Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 3. Now, where are we at currently in the story of creation? Well, we're only two verses in, Amen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, I'm going to share something with you that I share as a pastor, just to let you know, not to give you an opinion, but because it's out there and you need to know what's there. There are those that believe there's a gap between one and two. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I believe. You want to know why? Because there's nothing in the Scripture about what happens between one and two. It's verse one and verse two. Therefore, it's not important. Amen, amen, and amen. It's just not. It's fun to think about, amen. I don't know if Lord of the Rings happened between verses 1 and 2. I don't know that. There are people that do. I don't really care. Why? Because Jesus didn't put it in there. So obviously I don't need it for my spiritual growth. Not going to help me at all. Fun to think about, amen, but not necessary. So, and I, have one pre- I know one preacher who always said, well, there is a gap. It's about half a centimeter between earth and and in your Bible, right? So then you got that side of it as well, amen? Now let's look at verse 3. Now, back to the message. What's that got to do with anything? Absolutely nothing. Wanted to share it with you, amen? That was free this morning. We won't bill you. I won't add that to the invoice. All right, verse 3. God said, let there be what? Everyone say it out loud. Light. And there was what? Light. The first creation of God for the world was light. The very first thing. God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth needed light. The earth was without form and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God moved, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And as He beheld this earth that was without form and void and that was filled with darkness, He determined, this, my creation, needs light. And so He created light. God knew the world could not survive without light. I read a scientific article this week, and I thought I'd share with you all 72 pages this morning. So, no, I'm just kidding. In the article, there are given 12 uses for light, uh, and the author highlights the importance light plays in our everyday life. Now, I'm only going to give you five of them, okay? Not all 12, a little less than half, and all God's people said, Amen. You're welcome. All right. Five of them. One reason, one use for light. We need light for food. We need light for food. Photosynthesis is a concept in biology wherein food is synthesized by use of light. Light is the sole source of food, uh, food generation for all living organisms on earth except for a few uh, uh, chemotrophic bacteria. Almost all living beings depend on light for their food and energy. The world could not have survived without light. 
God, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher. My ways are higher. God knows what His creation needs. And He knew before anything living could be placed on this earth, it needed light. Food is necessary. Food depends on light. Vitamin D synthesis. Vitamin D is a type of vitamin which is needed to be supplied from an external source. This is because it can be synthesized from... uh, uh, I'm not even trying to say some of these words, amen. uh, uh, From cholesterol uh, by irradiation with sunlight. And the reason I'm leaving out some of the words is because I don't know what they mean. And we got some nurses here. They They can further explain if they need to, if you're really interested. But you know what you need? You need vitamin D in your life to be healthy, amen. There's vitamin D pills for people that have vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency. Do you know where we get vitamin D? It's synthesized from the sun, the light. Very interesting. We need light for vision. All animals and birds, birds are able to see the objects around them due to the presence of eyes. Without light, these eyes might be of no use. Because of light, the eyes can receive the image of the objects and send the information to the brain. From this visual information, we comprehend the objects. Hence, we can notice that in darkness, we could see nothing. Amen? That's very deep, scientific this morning. In darkness, we see nothing. So light makes it possible for us to see the objects around us. We need light so that we can see where we're going. Colors you got to have light to have colors. This whole world is beautiful due to colors. God's creation, all the wonderful colors that God has given us. He, he giveth us all things richly to enjoy. His beautiful creation that we get to see in the fall. It brings visitors here so that we can go and look at the wonderful mountain and see all the things that are dying and take pictures of it. Amen? That's what's happening. The leaves are dying. Amen? And that's what makes the beautiful colors. But even in that death, it's so beautiful. People come and say, do you know what we have to have in order to see those colors? Light. In darkness, we see no colors. This is because all the colors in this world are possible only due to light. The light has many spectra. Light and plant development. Plants grow towards the sky as they are guided by light. The plant growth hormone uh, uh, oxen is responsible for it. The the hormone is present in the uh, apical parts, the tips of the growing regions. And based on the availability of light, it directs the growth of the plant. And that growth grows towards the light. So you can notice some plants taking different turns when they are growing because they're trying to reach the sunlight because they know they need light to live. God knew every bit of this. That's why Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, God said, let there be light. The earth was covered in darkness and God knew that nothing living, nothing living could survive in that darkness. So He gave us light. Light is essential to our physical existence. God knows exactly what we need to survive and He provides it. That's the physical importance of life. Now let's look at the spiritual importance of life. God's chosen people, Israel, are living in darkness. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. This is why Jesus had to come. We mentioned it in passing just a little earlier. Now I'm doing really good on time this morning. Brother Royce, you'd be so proud. I'm on point two of two. Amen. Now, point two has seven subpoints, so you bear with me, but I'm doing real good this morning. 
God's chosen people are living in darkness. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtali, that it might, might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtali, uh, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. This passage in Matthew is of great prophetic significance because it is a fulfilling of Isaiah chapter 9. Now, this is also very significant because verse 17 marks the first division of Christ's ministry. Christ's ministry in the book of Matthew can be divided into two parts. The first one here in chapter 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The next division is in chapter 16. Look there with me. Keep your place in chapter 4. Hold it there. Take a map, rip it out of the back, put it in there in chapter 4. Whatever you want to do, amen, however you want to mark it. But keep your place there. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 21. Now there's a lot that's happened from chapter 4 to chapter 16. But here in verse 21, we have the second division in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. You see, before chapter 16 and verse 21, the message was, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the message from that time forth is I must needs go and suffer and die. You see, the message changed. Why? Well, that's a lesson for another day. You keep coming to church and we'll study that in the book of Matthew. Amen? That's my sales hook for you. All right. Back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Some of you already know the answer. We've dealt with that, the difference between the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Very interesting study, very deep study. Amen? Our focus, though, is on the truth that is pointed out in verse 16 of chapter 4. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. When did they see great light? Well, Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison. He departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, in verse 13, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, Isaiah chapter 9. Don't turn there. I'm going to read it to you for sake of time. Write down the reference. This is the reference that is being referenced by Isaiah the prophet in verse 14. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Remember, remember man had changed the law of God. Man had changed the law of God. Spurgeon said he expounded the spirituality of the law, Jesus Christ, because of this light 
penetrated the precepts through and through as he made the very essence of purity apparent. His light cleared the law of the mists and fogs that the rabbinical writers had gathered around it because man had changed the law of God. They were living in darkness. They could not live to God's standard because they had changed God's standard to man's standard. And any time man tries to change God's standard, it's watered down and it loses effect. This is why we can't live up to God's standard. This is why there was a need spiritually for the Messiah to come and to bring light because God's chosen are living in darkness. Israel. Luke chapter 1 verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's chosen people Israel. You know God's not done with Israel. Blindness in part has happened unto them. And you know what's going to happen? You know what's happening right now? The Bible calls this the times of the Gentiles. Do you know what's going to happen one day? We're going to be caught away. That's the Bible word. Amen. Rapture's not in the Bible, but a catching away is. Same concept. Amen. We're going to be caught away. And you know what's going to happen? The time of Jacob's trouble, the Bible calls it. Not the church's trouble. Jacob's trouble will be introduced to the world. And all the world will be judged by how they treat Israel during this time. Because it's God's time to judge Israel, not the world's. And God will judge them for seven perfect years of judgment. Why? Because darkness has come to Israel. But not only has darkness been in Israel, the world is living in darkness. Turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. I apologize, I didn't forewarn you to do your exercises this morning. I normally tell you to do one of these little stretches with your fingers, amen. We, we like to go through the Scripture, so I apologize, I didn't forewarn you, but at this point it should be known, alright? Acts chapter 26, look at verse 18. Paul is appearing before King Agrippa. He is able to give his defense, and in such defense he is preaching the gospel. He's giving his testimony, and look at verse 18. Or look at verse 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, Paul is before King Agrippa and he's presenting his defense using his testimony to persuade the king that he's acting on behalf of God. Paul had a message for the world. Notice where we find Paul showing where a man is located in verse 18. The power of darkness. Do you know what Paul is is comparing that to? The power of Satan. He came to preach Christ Jesus so that he could see men turn from darkness to light because in the darkness people are under the power and influence of Satan himself. Blinded are they to the truth 
because of the power of Satan. Oh, make no mistake about it, Satan has power. Amen? He was the cherub that covereth. He was a mighty angel. But you see, God is more powerful. And if you'll turn from the power of Satan, and if you'll turn from darkness and look to Jesus Christ, Christ, the glorious gospel of light that He brings to your life, then will you be loose from the bondage of sin forever. But only comes when you turn to Christ. Man is living in darkness. Satan has blinded the eyes of man to the truth, and they need the light. It's been said that darkness is the absence of light and this world is living in the absence of Christ. This world is moving closer and closer to as Romans chapter 1 calls a reprobate mind. Reprobate simply just means rejected and what the world is getting is exactly what they're asking from God. Leave us alone. And there'll come a point in the life of every person that God will work on them, God will present them, they will see. Creation itself shows forth that there is a God. Man, us Christians, we've been able to go and to share the gospel and there will come a point where you will reject to the point where God says, okay, I'm not rejecting you, but I'm going to give you what you want, me to leave you alone. That's called a reprobate mind. They've rejected God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why? Why do people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and try to make excuses not to accept the free gift of salvation? Why do people make excuses and try to trust any longer on themselves and what they do when the Bible very clearly teaches us that there's nothing good within us? Not one thing. Well, I've donated to charity. I've lived a good life. I've sacrificed for my family. The Bible says it's filthy rags. Why do people stay convinced that those things one day that Jesus will let them into heaven? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. What's the answer to the blindness? The glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Jesus said that those that walk in Him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Back to John. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. There's there's no other light. There's no priest that can save you. There's no act that can save you. There's no communion that can save you. There's no baptism that can save you. There's no religious rite that you can say. There's no words that you can regurgitate and copy that can save you. Only Jesus Christ is the light. And He says, I'm the light of the world. Those that follow after Christ will not live in darkness. If you don't know Christ this morning, if you've never accepted that free gift of salvation, oh, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. It's a recognition that on our own we can do nothing right. We're liars. We're thieves. We're adulterers. We're murderers. That's what we are. But Christ is the light of the world. All we have to do 
is recognize that sin, confess, believe. Those are the words in Romans. Confess and believe. It takes both. You need both. Accept Christ's free gift. Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll be done. I know I said John and we'll be done, but amen, I misspoke. Ephesians chapter 5. I believe the Lord will forgive me, amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, what's the application for us Christians? We know the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. And we know that we could take and say, so we need to take the light to that world because they're living in darkness. And the only answer, it's not a politician, it's not a judge, it's not a, 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 you know, a, a right cop or anything of that nature. It's Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way that this world will turn around if we can take Christ into the world, allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine in the world. But what does that mean for us as Christians? Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Well, let's look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But be ye not, be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There's the application. Ephesians is written to who? Christians. Church at Ephesus. Who's a part of the church? Saved people. Amen? Ephesians is written to saved people. All the Bible is for us, but not all of it is directly written to us. Amen? Ephesians is written directly to the church. The church at Ephesus saved people. We are being told that we are not to be partakers of those that are coming under the wrath of God, the children of disobedience. We used to be in darkness, but now we're in the light of Christ. And so do you know what Paul encourages the church to do? Walk as children of light. You know what he's saying? You're living in the light. Now act like it. Amen. First John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We've got to walk in the light. We've talked about the individual soul liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you have Christ Jesus in your heart, you've been liberated and you've been given light. Now what are you doing with the light that you've been given? What are you doing in your life? Are you covering it back with the darkness of this world? Making excuses to continue in your sin because the sin makes me feel good? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that's a biblical principle for everyone, Christians included. You can make excuses all you want, but Christian, you will stand before Christ at that great and terrible judgment seat of Christ and you will bring your wood, hay, and stubble or your gold, silver, and precious stones and you will give account for the work that He has called you to do. Not works. The word is not plural in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's singular. It's work. You have one work for Christ and that's to bring honor and glory to the Father with your life and to use the light that He's giving you responsibly. Ye were sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Do any of us shun the light? Charles Spurgeon said, I know some men slight the privileges they ought to prize. They do not know or do not want to know him who's going forth is as the light of the morning when the sun riseth. 
They never read the Bible or search into the history, the prophecies and the promises. They do not like an earnest ministry. They have a sort of happy-go-lucky style of religion. They take in whatever anybody else tells them. They attend their place of worship as a matter of habit and observe all the properties of fashion. But as to doing right or seeking light, they seldom or never give it a thought. They do not count it desirable. Too much light would expose much of what, much of what they could not bear to be inspected. Dear friend, if you are afraid of the light, be suspicious of yourself. For it is deceit that dreads detection. Who are the people that like darkness rather than light? It is deceit that dreads detection. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.